0: Good morning, folks. We are blessed with a special guest today. Governor John Bell Edwards, the 56th governor of the great state of Louisiana, joins us. 32 days left in his administration. Uh, Governor, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Noel. It's great to be back with you. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you and uh, to, to talk with you and your listeners and and I do want to comment that your introductory music is much better than Jim Inkster's. Uh, I, do, I do his program once a month and I think I'm on show 93 or something but every time his music comes on I'm a little disconcerted.
0: <laughs> well I appreciate that. For, you know I want to start first so I do not forget. Um, on behalf of myself, our listening audience, my family, I want to thank you uh, your wife Donna, your beautiful kids Samantha Bell, Sarah Ellen, and um, John Miller um, for the sacrifices that y'all made for the state of Louisiana. A lot of folks don't really recognize or realize the sacrifice of public service, the difficulty of public service, and we're going to talk about some of that and some of the challenges um, that you uh, had to face. Uh, but I wanted to just, so I don't forget, I wanted to thank you so very much um, for putting so much of an effort that you put in each and every day, 24-7, on behalf of the state of Louisiana.
1: No, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and of course, um, I want to thank the people of Louisiana for giving us the opportunity uh, to serve. It really has been the honor of a lifetime, um, and Donna has just been a terrific first lady and, and a, obviously a very supportive spouse for me. The kids have been terrific. Um, and we talk about the political discourse and, and how much nationalist there can be in, in politics these days. Um, that has a bigger effect on the family than it does on the candidate yep. or the office holder. And I've always been mindful of that. Uh, but I will tell you, they, they too have been able to benefit tremendously from this opportunity. Um, And I try to shield them from some of that and just say, look, don't look at social media. Uh, I I really don't uh, (laughs) uh, very often, uh, but but in any event, uh, thank you very much for your your kind words. I went back to listen to your inaugural
0: speech on January 11th, 2016, a beautiful winter day in the state of Louisiana, cold, crisp, sunny, uh, a great day. You said a couple of things. Uh, One— not, you ran as not a business-as-usual candidate, and you were hoping to be not a business-as-usual governor. You also said that the status quo is not acceptable. When I look at a number of the achievements of the administration over the, uh, the last eight years, it seems to me that you uh, fulfilled that promise. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, you know, I— Take uh, assessment of what we were able to do and some things we were not successful at, but I am very gratified uh, by the number of successes on the big ticket items, especially uh, because it was it has been a difficult time. Um, the we can we've demonstrated over the eight years that I've been governor a level of bipartisanship that you don't see in many states and you certainly don't see in Congress uh, because everything that we accomplished was was by definition bipartisan i had republican majorities in the house and the senate um, i'm a democratic governor as you know um, but we were able to work through those things and it was very difficult and at times contentious and sometimes it required multiple uh special sessions to the legislature but but i think we got where we needed to be on most of those big ticket items and i'm very pleased with that um, uh, whether it was the fiscal situation, the, the investments in education that we've been able to make, the Medicaid expansion, the growth and diversification of our economy—I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about that I feel really good about. And, and certainly, uh, I think it's always the case that there's some things that you don't get done. But you know, if you if you accomplish everything you set out to do, you weren't ambitious enough, right? Right. Yeah. And and so so I mean, we weren't able to increase the minimum wage which remains $7 and a quarter. I think that's a travesty, but I don't think that's a reflection on me. I think it's a reflection on the majority in the legislature who wouldn't go along with that. We still have the highest gap between what we pay women and men in the country, and and, our, and women and, and uh, their children uh, suffer for that. But but by and large, the, the big-ticket items that we were trying to do, we were able to get accomplished.
0: Your administration, I think it's fair to characterize, started with uh, huge headwinds. Uh, you were facing a budget deficit of approximately two billion billion, one one of the largest budget deficits, I think, in the history of the state of Louisiana, if my memory serves me correct. Yeah. Uh, not a good place to start from.
1: No, and, and uh, if you will remember, we, it was the largest budget deficit. So when I became governor in January of 16, we were a billion dollars short in state general fund to close out the fiscal year, June 30th of that year. For the year starting July 1st of 2016, uh, we were $2 billion short. And we had just come through elections where it wasn't just that a Republican majority was elected. The vast majority of them had run on a platform of never raising revenue. Now, they never spelled out cuts that they were going to make either. Right. um, And they certainly didn't want to make the level of cuts that would have been required without revenue. Uh, So we had to to work really hard uh, through that process. Ultimately, it was a combination of cuts uh, and, and revenue, and I, and I think responsible governance, and I, and I give a lot of credit to Jay Darden, who, as commissioner of administration, all eight years that I've been governor, by the way, has mm-hmm. just been tremendous. Um, and, and I will concede at, at the beginning here, he probably had some credibility with Republican legislatures that I didn't have, because right. he's, he was a Republican, is a Republican, and he had been chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. Um, so when we put together budgets and we made representations, I believe the vast majority of people in the legislature and around the state uh, believed uh, those numbers, which were always uh, factual. But but we were able to overcome that. And, and, and just to, to jump forward eight years, uh, when I became governor, we had the $2 billion deficit, $400 million in the bank. Today, we have a balanced budget, $300 million surplus from last year, $3.2 billion in the bank. And in the current year we're running uh, excess, meaning we're, we're receiving revenue in excess of the forecast for the current year, so we're on track to have an, another surplus. Um, and, and I will tell you, that's not easy, but if you simply, every year, you take the most conservative estimate on your revenue, and that's what you budget to. If you're working to, to, um, to uh, grow and diversify your economy, you, you produce additional revenue. If you do responsible governance, like never incorporate a one-time dollar, For recurring expenditure and we have not had a single one-time dollar for recurring expenditure in eight years those are the sorts of things that that set the stage for success um, and and hopefully we'll get an opportunity to talk about some of that in more detail yeah
0: there there are many uh, in our history of those exotic financial schemes, and I call them exotic (laughs) because I've yet to figure many of them out it occurred to me um, at your inauguration, your good friend mentioned to the audience that you were the honor code captain yeah. at, the, at, yeah. the, at West Point. And he talked about the harder right versus the easier wrong when it, relative to uh, leadership and decisions. You made a very important decision day one. Uh, one that very few Republicans actually supported. I did as a Republican, yeah. but it, it came from my years of experience on a hospital board, understanding hospital financing. But you you expanded Medicaid. How important was that to not only the budget, yeah. but the delivery of healthcare services in the state of Louisiana? That was something you did day one.
1: I did it day one, uh, but it's something that I campaigned on relentlessly. And, and I think it helped that when I won by 12 points, I could say that there was a mandate to expand Medicaid in Louisiana. Uh, we, we, I signed the executive order on the first day. The expansion was effective on July 1st of 2016. Uh, today we have over half a million working poor with health insurance. And that, that's what a lot of people don't understand. The poorest of the poor already qualified for Medicaid. If you made enough money, uh, you, you could buy insurance. And if it was a condition uh, of your employment, if it was a benefit for your employment, you had it. But these working poor people were kind of the ones stuck in the middle. And it was costing us a lot of money because, as you know from your service on the hospital board, an uninsured person goes to the hospital uh, and, and the, the payment comes to the hospital through DISH to the mm-hmm. extent that they're paid. Right. Forty cents on the dollar comes from the general fund. If you expand Medicaid, it's no more than 10 cents on the dollar for the Medicaid insurance. And the hospitals have elected to assess themselves for the 10 percent because their overall reimbursement is so much better because they're distributing less unreimbursed care. And so the health of that population also increases because the most ineffective and costly way to try to uh, treat disease is in the emergency room. And that's where we were trying to do it. Um, and it involves um, behavioral health, so mental health, uh, but also addiction disorder treatment. Both of those are inpatient and outpatient. Uh, And so we were able to save money for the reason that I just mentioned, a tremendous amount of state general fund that helped us address that largest ever budget deficit. But our hospitals have been reimbursed better, which is why, unlike other states in the South that haven't expanded Medicaid, we haven't had a single rural hospital closure in Louisiana. Um, and, And we were healthier. Now, COVID took a big toll on us. And in 2016, I couldn't know COVID was coming. But we know COVID uh, particularly preyed upon those who had comorbid uh, health conditions. Mm-hmm. And, and the sicker you were, the more likely you were to be in the hospital and to die. Well, we had a healthier population than we would have had uh, because we expanded Medicaid. Those individuals developed a relationship with the primary care physicians and experts. They started taking medicine for diagnosis earlier and, and that sort of thing. So the easiest big decision that I've made as governor and, and probably the single decision that I am most proud of uh, because it helped address that that budget deficit situation, but it also uh, was just the right thing to do. And, and you know I'm a, I'm a pro-life uh, governor. I'm a pro-life Democrat. And, and for me, pro-life is, is much more than the abortion issue. Um, and, and this is a pro-life uh, decision. And and I always uh, uh, talked about it in, in those terms, and I still believe that today.
0: we got to get to a break. We're visiting with Governor John Bell Edwards, um, 32 days left in his administration, the 56th governor of the state of Louisiana. We will be right back, folks. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. We are visiting with Governor John Bell Edwards, the 56th governor for the great state of Louisiana, as is... Uh, second term comes to an end on january the 8th governor um not only were you facing facing a huge fiscal crisis and big headwinds there the list of natural disasters (laughs) and other occurrences uh during your eight years uh i i did some research i tried to find out whether or not there was ever a case in this state or any other state that they had so many challenges 12 storms That actually made landfall Uh, some tropical storms mostly hurricanes obviously the pandemic and then we had a series of near-miss storms where y'all had to go through that same preparation going back to your 2016 inaugural address there was something that struck me about your military approach to this and in many in many ways having done similar things to what you did as governor as a sheriff in preparation for storms you talked about the gathering of intelligence, the implementation of a strategy, what options that are available, and obviously the tactics. And as I watched you deal with these storms, it it was evident to me that that your military training really
1: came to the forefront and you were able to use it for something other than a military action. Well, you know, we're all the the product of of our experiences, and I do believe that having been educated at the Military Academy at West Point and then spent eight years as an Army officer, did help uh, and I, I would think as it relates to emergency uh response and and so forth the the number one thing that i tried to do was to make good decisions you know they, there's a there's a saying that a, a good decision that's made the perfect decisions made too late isn't yeah. isn't very good <laughs> right uh, so so you got to get information um and and make a a, a good decision that is timely Um, And and I think that is incredibly important, Um, but we are so blessed to have the most experienced, best set of state and local um, emergency response management folks in in the country. And I say that without any hesitation. Um, Now, they're the best because we get the most experience, you know, because because we actually had in the first year in March and in August, we had uh, floods. Uh, and between them, 56 of the 64 parishes were declared major federal disasters. Those were not named storms. Those right. were just afternoon thunderstorms that decided to stick around. The first one was a 100-year flood. The second one was a 500-year flood. Very, very challenging. But we have one. One that flooded the mansion, too. Uh, oh, yeah, in August. Yeah. <laughs> Dine and I spent uh, a few months living uh, on LSU's campus uh, after that. Um, but we have a great team— Uh, FEMA uh, really has been a good partner, and and I know that it's still a four-letter word for a lot of people. But if you can compare and contrast FEMA today with what it was back uh, during the Katrina time, I I think we can all acknowledge it's just a much better, more responsive agency. Um, And they actually counted it up for me. I didn't do this, but we've had more than 20 federal disaster declarations in Louisiana in eight years, um, and I think it was more than 50 state uh, declarations uh, of disaster in, in those same eight years. And then COVID, you know, the two strongest hurricanes that ever hit our state, not Katrina, it was actually uh, Laura in Southwest Louisiana 2020 and Ida uh, in 2021 in Southeast Louisiana at the height of the COVID pandemic. That really complicated the preparation and response. Uh, but, but again, we have just tremendous, our National Guard, You know, there have been multiple times since i have been governor where all 11,000-plus members of the National Guard have been activated. They are simply the best at what they do anywhere, and we have the folks at GOSEP, you name it. I I just, you know, we are blessed in Louisiana to have these tremendous public servants.
0: Was there ever a time um, that you felt or you thought or— you never exhibited it. If you did, you had a you had a, a good poker face. Kind of a sense of despair, where you, you were sitting there and you were like, "What next?"
1: Yeah. Uh, so so the absolute worst was early in COVID. Um, at the end of March of twenty twenty, uh, early April, we literally had the highest growth rate in COVID cases being measured anywhere in the world in Louisiana. Um, it was a new coronavirus, and so by definition, they don't know exactly uh, how the spread of the virus is going to respond to different mitigation measures that, that we were taking. Um, and you spend your time with, with infectious disease uh, folks and, and um, you, other experts. You talk to your federal partners, but you're talking to your CEOs of all the hospitals in Louisiana and all the medical directors. And you find out that that they they have a tremendous uh, shortage of staff because they too are getting sick they don't have enough beds um, and especially uh, as it relates to ventilators and ICU beds and if the growth rate continues you're looking at crisis standards of care that look a lot like mash you remember this the show yeah, mash yeah. And, and you get people in the hospital and you have to decide well, this person's probably not going to make it, so we're going to spend our time with, with this person over here who may. And and we really had good reason to believe at the worst of it uh, in the time period that I just said we were going to get there, uh, which made it very easy for me then to implement the, the mitigation measures that we were requested to do from Vice President Pence's team at the White House and talking to the CDC and Alex B.U. was the head of public Mm -hmm. uh, health at the time, and then Joe Cantor came on, both of whom, by the way. Fine gentlemen. Fine gentlemen, and just excellent, excellent at what they do. I mean, we we could not have been better served. But those were the days, without a doubt, that were um, the most difficult, not just for me, but I believe for our state. But I happen to know more about what we were dealing with because I'm getting all the briefings and I'm talking to all the hospitals. And thank God we never got to those crisis standards of care in Louisiana. Um, And that has to do with a lot of fine work by an awful lot of people, but particularly in the hospitals who, who made it work with those staffing shortages, with all of those challenges, without enough PPE. I mean, we can go back down the list. You know, some of the, the medical techniques that were developed to keep people off of ventilators or get people off of ventilators successfully, they were pioneered here in Louisiana yeah. by our fine physicians. And a lot of people don't, don't realize the contributions to medical science that were made here in Louisiana in that pandemic. Uh, but I, I've always said the people of Louisiana inspire me. Uh, but the the really, really good work during covid uh, by so many people was truly inspiring as if the
0: pandemic wasn 't a big enough challenge in and of itself there was um a political ideology infiltration as well yeah how frustrating
1: was that? Well, it was extremely frustrating because uh i mean there was a proliferation of conspiracy theorists um out there um whether it was the the vaccine was was really designed to to uh, allow the government to implant a some sort of a chip so that people could be tracked and I mean they're just really ridiculous things, um, and 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 so many more and 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 we we don't have faith in these vaccines that were developed by fine companies like Pfizer, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna administer th- medicines that have been around forever that are typically used to treat cattle for unrelated diseases. You know, the same people who were out there saying, don't get your vaccines, were promoting uh, uh, other things that, that the CDC and, and all of the, the scientists were saying, not only is that not helpful, it, it could be very harmful. But those sorts of things proliferated and, and uh, just made it very, very difficult. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you had a, a noisy small group, uh, that was getting a lot of attention i have good reason to believe from polling and otherwise that the, the, the a clear majority of people in louisiana always believed that we not just doing our best but but objectively doing as good a job as anybody in the country uh, in trying to manage uh, our way through through covid um but it it was very difficult they you know, there's a lot of things that you can anticipate and prepare for. There's a lot of challenges in government where there really are solutions that you look to other states or what maybe Louisiana has done before. This pandemic, there was nothing in my desk drawers. No script, huh? there, there was nothing in my desk drawers that said, this is how you handle uh, that. Uh, but, but the people who intentionally made it harder, um, you know, they did such a disservice uh, to our state. And to this day, Um, You know, a lot of people have needlessly died because they haven't been vaccinated. They're older, they have comorbid health conditions, and they still haven't been vaccinated. And we know they have the worst outcomes. Was
0: there any, I mean, you know, that situation, they don't call it novel for nothing, Mm. right, as as you just articulated. Was there ever a day that you had a sense of (laughs) self-doubt?
1: No, I, I'm not going to say that I had self-doubt in the sense that I doubted the measures that, that uh, I was ordering and, and directing. Um, but you you have doubt as to whether the scientific community um, really is, is, knows enough about something that is new so that those measures are, are going to be effective or effective enough uh, early enough uh, to achieve the desired outcome um, but you can look anytime we imposed a mitigation measure literally 14 days later uh, the positivity rate started declining right and, and it just happened and we know that there's an incubation period of about 14 days right and and every single time so I have no doubt and and I know there's still a lot of debate out there about some of the measures I have no doubt uh, that, that they all had the desired effect, uh, and that they were necessary to preserve the capacity because hospitals, when they're full and they don't have enough staff, it isn't just COVID patients who aren't going to get the no. care. It, it's, it's your motor vehicle accidents. It's your heart attacks. It's your strokes. It's your cancer patients. It's all of that. The whole healthcare delivery system was really, really challenged and And that was the, that was the primary reason uh, that, that we made those decisions to try to preserve capacity in our hospitals. in light of
0: the storms, the challenges, mother Nature, the floods, the rains, the pandemic, yeah. did you ever have the sense I'm so busy managing a crisis I've not really been able to govern in the way that i thought and the way that i talked about on january 11 of 2016.
1: yeah well yes it, it made things a lot harder um and y- you were governing i was governing and and doing things that were absolutely critical and the most important things right. i could do but, but if but you i spe- mean in a broader no, sense but, but but if you spend a day um which we did day after day after day uh managing the COVID pandemic Uh, then that's a day you weren't trying to advance a policy that you thought was important to Louisiana. Um, And so, yeah, I did feel that way, uh, which is all the reason more why when I look at what we were able to accomplish over the eight years, and particularly in the second term when the first two years was nominated by COVID, I am extremely gratified. Today we have the lowest unemployment rate in our state's history, the 10th fastest growing GDP in the country, growing faster than— uh, the national average, the highest ever personal uh, income in the state of Louisiana today. We have announced um, uh, three straight years with more than $20 billion each year uh, in capital investments in Louisiana. That's the, that's, we've never had three years like that before. The economic development forecast for the state of Louisiana is for a net growth in 80,000 jobs over the next two years. And um, that, I mean, there was just so much that we were able to do despite all those challenges that I still have to feel gratified. But but I wonder how much better might might it be today had we not gone through all of that.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it's curious. Um, obviously, good leaders think about their legacy, right, how they, they're going to be uh, remembered. And, and the reason I, 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 I've taken this approach in this interview is because I – wonder whether folks will forget the 12 storms the multiple (laughs) other things of mother nature the flooding of the mansion two and a half years of a pandemic um, which in my lifetime at 65 the most uncertainty i've ever Mm -hmm. experienced in my life
1: ever yeah you know we already see some of that um you know every now and then i hear that there's uh, somebody out there online or on the radio and they say oh Edwards made that up we didn't have a two billion dollar deficit well as you know uh, (laughs) it was the revenue estimating conference uh, that that was in place in 2015 before I became governor that that came up with with those numbers and it absolutely was true and and so forth so sometimes it's forgetting sometimes it's people purposely trying to diminish um, the, the, the things that we've been able to achieve Um, And I just hope the legacy at the end of the day for me is that people uh, believe whether they agreed with me or not on on the things that I'm talking about today. But hopefully they will concede that I was motivated by what I believed was best for Louisiana and that I worked hard every single day uh, to achieve those things and to do so in a bipartisan way. I, I give a lot of credit to the legislature. And look, it was I was a member of the legislature for yeah. eight years, and I think it was those personal relationships that, that really helped us more than anything else to overcome what could have been uh, a partisan uh, gridlock. Uh, but I give a lot of credit to the legislature because at the end of the day, they did some things that were uncomfortable for them, but things that they knew to be best for our state. Um, you don't find a lot of leaders in Congress who will do anything yeah. that is the slightest bit uncomfortable. They insist on 100% their way, and that's why we have so much dysfunction there. We haven't had it in Louisiana, and, and we're in a much better place. You know, we're always told to leave things better than you find it. Mm-hmm. I am 100% confident that in many objectively verifiable, demonstrable ways and significant ways, Louisiana is much better off today uh, than on the day that I became governor because we, we haven't just righted the fiscal ship. We're making critical investments. The most ever state general fund invested in early childhood education is in this year. Um, we, we've given $5,300 in pay raises to teachers since 2019, uh, $465 million in growth to operational funding for our higher education uh, that's recurring, um, and and so, which had
0: suffered under the Jindal administration in a huge way. Had well, significant you say huge. cuts. The,
1: the largest disinvestment in higher education in the United States of America was in Louisiana before I became governor. It was the principal reason I decided to run, um, because you cannot expand opportunity and prosperity if you're not educating and training your citizenry. You're not going to get the investment. You're not going to get the, the the job growth and career opportunities here in Louisiana. If you're not developing your talent pipeline, um, and so we're doing those things again, um, and 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 by the way, all the things that I've mentioned that we're doing, state general fund growth in the budget since I've been governor has been lower than the rate of inflation, less than the rate of inflation, um, and and so again, uh, that we we've been prudent, uh, we've been responsible. There's not been smoke and mirrors in, in the budget, uh, and, and anybody can look at our budget documents and understand. May not agree, but right. at least you understand what we're doing. Um, as you mentioned before, there were so much smoke and mirrors before with those fund sweeps and so forth. Nobody had a clue. Um, but in, in any event, we're, we're much better off today. And I give a lot of credit to legislators uh, who who sometimes they went along with me. Sometimes it was a compromise Um I didn't want the principal revenue-raising measure to be an increase in the sales tax. The sales tax is regressive. And we got into the revenue problems because of the changes to the Steli plan. Mm-hmm. Well, what was reversed were, were income tax changes. Right. Uh, so I really thought that that was a logical place to go back, especially because I happen to know we have a lot of businesses in Louisiana today who still aren't paying their fair share. But that was not possible. And it was very difficult for me, but at the end of the day, I realized it's much better to do it with the sales tax than to not do it at all. And in Louisiana, we have the least regressive sales tax in the country because we don't tax residential utilities, groceries, or pharmaceuticals. And you know the, the situation as you define as
0: you describe it is that the challenge is still looming out there. <laughs> Somebody yes. it still needs to be addressed. We're visiting with Governor John Bell Edwards, the 56th Governor of the State of Louisiana. We'll be right back, folks, stay with us. Welcome back, folks. We are visiting with Governor John Bell Edwards. Uh, Governor, you guys have uh, filed highlights of each department on a website uh, that people can go and look at. And as I was looking at the the fiscal um, area of uh, the state government, it it occurred to me that uh, seven years running of budget surpluses, uh, obviously putting a lot of money aside in in what we have cash on hand, that we're really not at risk of a fiscal cliff. I mean, I know that we are facing the sales tax maybe falling out, uh, and the legislature has to decide whether or not they want to keep it or not. But it's in good shape from that perspective.
1: Well, the next governor, uh, Governor Governor-elect Landry and the legislature, they can choose whether to keep the .45 cents in sales tax or not. But if they choose not to keep it, that's a revenue loss of about $600 million a year. We're running surpluses, and one of the things we've tried to do is put ourselves on a glide path so that should that revenue drop off completely, it is not a fiscal cliff, and it's not uh, because we've grown and diversified the economy such that our revenue uh, is, is strong enough that we're running surpluses. So I told you $300 million last year, but on top of that, $1 billion that went into the revenue stabilization fund would have been counted as surplus had it not gone into the fund. So we're generated excess revenue that is more than twice the revenue loss from the .45 going away. Um, and so, so we're not – we don't have a fiscal cliff. I know what a fiscal cliff is. Yeah. I've been there uh, when it was a real $2 billion. over <laughs> the edge. Yeah, but, but you know, the, the legislature should consider keeping that money and putting it towards transportation infrastructure or some other needs. And if they choose not to, that's a decision uh, that they can make. I thought the best thing I could do as governor – as steward of the state, was tried to put us on a glide path so that it would not represent a fiscal cliff. And I can say that as of the day that I leave office next month, we do not have a fiscal cliff looming.
0: Yeah, and the Rainy Day Fund, if my memory serves me correct, I was looking at the numbers, is the highest balance
1: that it's ever yes, been, right? It's $974.7 million, the highest ever, um, and, and more than two times what was in that fund when I became governor. But on top of that, there's $2.2 billion in the Revenue Stabilization Fund that didn't exist until it was created in 2016 while I was governor. So on those two funds together, $3.2 billion in reserves, that's an amount the credit rating agencies think is appropriate for an enterprise the size of the state of Louisiana and more than three times the amount of surplus reserves that any governor has ever inherited. That's what I'm leaving. That's a great landscape for the incoming governor. All right, enough about
0: you. Let's talk about your better half, Donna Edwards, and her accomplishment because she's an incredible part of the team
1: uh, as well. I've been the luckiest person in the world because I got to meet her when I was in the seventh grade. She was in the sixth grade. Uh, Really can honestly say just about never been on another date in my life. But she has been a fantastic first lady, and, and she has worked so hard. And as you know, she doesn't get paid Uh, for that but she's worked so hard every day to promote music art and movement in our public schools to improve the foster care uh, system and to uh, promote adoptions out of foster care which we've set record after record after record with those adoptions out of foster care and then her her attention to uh, uh, human sex trafficking awareness and prevention Um, she just has worked so hard on all of those things and many more the governor's mansion is probably better than it has ever been. In fact, I'm just going to say it. It is nicer than it has ever been. She's yeah. raised private funds uh, to do that. Um, she's just been an extremely hardworking, conscientious person. She loves the state every bit as much I- as I do. Uh, but I can tell you uh, she is also very, very excited about going home to Tanchepo Parish and being a grandmother for the first time, which will happen four days before we leave office. Governor, we wish you the best. Um, in your future
0: endeavor, whatever it may be, we hope the best for you and your family, and we truly appreciate the sacrifices that you have made for each and every one of the citizens of the state of Louisiana. Thank you so much M- for joining M- us today. Thank
1: you. I appreciate the opportunity, and I thank everyone in Louisiana for the opportunity to be governor over the last eight years. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
0: Folks, when we come back, we will be visiting with Josh Flagg from Greater New Orleans, Inc., and we'll get the latest on any number of uh, topics throughout the metropolitan area. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Governor John Bell Edwards, and I wanted to thank he and his beautiful wife Donna again for their service to the great state of Louisiana and their, and their children as well, Samantha Samantha Bell and, and um, um, John, John Mill. John Miller. Oh, my goodness. And Sarah Ellen. <laughs>